Good morning. Welcome to Trinity's Daily Podcast. My name is Chris McDaniel, the senior pastor here at the church, and it's good to be with you on this Monday. We're going to read a passage from Matthew 21 and then pray and spend just a little bit of time here today thinking about the Bible and what the Lord might have to say to us through through his word. But first, let's read. Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he cured them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the amazing things that he did and heard the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became angry and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of babes and nursing babies? You have prepared praise for yourself. He left them and went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Bible. Even, even these strange stories where Jesus seems agitated. God, we ask you to help us see what it was that was agitating him. And Lord, also to have the wisdom to see what parallels might exist in our own life today as we think about the Bible and think about our lives in light of all that's happening around us and in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So like I alluded to there in my prayer, this is maybe the most uh, violent imagery uh, concerning Jesus in the whole New Testament. He in one gospel reading, makes a whip and drives them out. Um, Jesus, um, no, no matter how you look at it or which gospel lesson you read, uh, Jesus is turning furniture over and presumably shouting, driving people out in one. Like I said, he has a weapon actually as he does it. This is a picture of Jesus that is a, at least for me, at least is simultaneously unsettling and really, uh, curiosity inducing. I I like something here and I'm a little nervous at the same time. There's so much going on in this moment in Jesus's life and specifically in the culture of the temple. Stuff that if we don't know a little bit about, we might miss some of the significance of what's going on here. Um, Not only has commerce and clutter, frankly, entered the temple area with the money changers and the buying and selling of animals, but There's a real sense of injustice at play. Um, The temple leadership were cheating people. Um, They were uh, using falsely balanced scales uh, to essentially take advantage of people. See, people coming to the temples had to bring a sacrifice. And the sacrifice, according to Jewish law, had to be spotless, um, an animal without blemish. And so oftentimes what would happen is people would wait and just buy a, a, a sort of temple certified animal at the temple. And so there were animals all over the place. Uh, they were paying exorbitant prices. There was a sense in which there were unjust exchange rates on the money. It was tough. It was, it was not good. There was a lot of corruption. And so it wasn't just that business had entered the, the church, if you will, it was that some sort of corrupt, um, uh, biased business had entered the church, and Jesus sees this, and he, um, his instinct is to move toward injustice and turn over the tables and drive out those who are profiting on the backs of the poor. And I think this is a really important thing to notice about Jesus, that 
Jesus is always on the side of the oppressed. He's always on the side of the voiceless. And I think it's probably fair for you and me to ask the question, you know, what does it mean for me to align my life with Jesus as he uh, always seems to move toward injustice in order to speak to it and deal with it? I think there are a lot of applications there for us right now. There are two things that I notice, though, when Jesus removes this clutter, when he deals with the injustice, the, the brokenness, the wickedness in the system, he says something and then something happens. The thing he says is, my house, the house of God, is meant to be a house of prayer, but we've made it into something else. And so that's the thing we need to first think about. That's what Jesus says. As he's moving toward injustice, he says something about the temple, something about the house of God. He says it's supposed to be a place of prayer. And when I think about Trinity, um, you know, it would be a struggle to call our our church uh, a house of prayer. Our leadership team in recent months has really began to lament over this and even ask the Holy Spirit for a breakthrough for wisdom and insight on how we could become a more obviously praying people. See, there's a difference between personal piety and the church or the temple being a house of prayer, a house where prayer happens. And I think Jesus is actually, um, the Lord is actually probably inviting us to consider uh, our prayerlessness, both as institutions uh, like, like the church, Trinity, but also maybe also our own temple, the Holy Spirit, our own personal life. Maybe where, where are we more prayerless than the Lord would have us to be? And I find it interesting that there's a correlation there, that corruption being cl- cleaned out, um, so sort of symbolic of repentance, that that would make room for uh, us to be and the church to be what it was meant to be all along, which is a place where we connect with God, commune with God, worship God, pray to the Lord. But then something happens after Jesus says, this is the original intention, a prayer, then it, we're told almost on cue that the blind and the lame and that children filled the temple area. It would appear that once the temple's been cleared, room was made for the space to be what it was supposed to be, which is a place for healing and a place for security, a place of refuge, a place of shelter. And it's got me to thinking, like, what happens if we make room and then all of a sudden the church gets to be a place of healing again? Uh, what would it mean for you and me to make space for Jesus to begin to do his healing work? And I find it really telling that as soon as Jesus cleans house, what happens is, is those who are vulnerable are now able to come in and receive from God what he wanted to give them all along. And then there's this picture of children singing in the temple, uh, children who represent you know powerless, vulnerable creatures that they're singing about Jesus. There's a sound of joy that emerges in the in the church when God begins to do good things. But even this good thing receives opposition and resistance, right? The religious establishment, they push back, they're angry, they're indignified at the fact that these children are are singing. And Jesus basically says, those who do not possess worldly power out of the mouths of babes and infants, uh, God has prepared praise for himself. And I believe the Lord wants us to probably think about this on the macro, our church, the, the big church. And then also, um, maybe in a, in a more micro way, what does it look like for us to declutter, um, to weed out the corrupted spaces and elements in our own souls and in our own institutions so that we might become 
those who pray and those who make room for healing and security and shelter to happen for the vulnerable. Just think it's the, the Lord's heart right now. I think he's stirring something. And I would just ask you today whether you'll have ears to hear it. Um, I love how it ends. Jesus goes to Bethany. We're told that really without any qualification and they don't even explain and just goes to Bethany. Um, his friends, Martha and Mary and Lazarus lived in Bethany. It's where he sought rest and relationship. And so I even love the fact that Jesus, when he goes through one of his hardest moments as a, a leader, a prophet, that he immediately recognizes he needs to go and be with people that he loves, people whom he trusts. And I think there's some application there for you and me. When we're doing hard things, we've got to we got to know then that confront always needs to be followed by retreat. Um, if your whole life is a confront, that's not helpful. If your whole life is a retreat, also not helpful. We've got to do a little bit of both. The whole, the whole of life is about retreating and then confronting, confronting, and then retreating to be with God and to be recharged. God bless you. Go in peace. We'll see you when we see you.